0: The most beautiful thing in the world that you and I look for is love. Free love is a black and white contradiction in two words. Love was never intended to be free. You cannot really define love until you understand the one who has created you and me, for God so loved. The world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You cannot love without giving.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome to Three Crosses Church Online. My name is Buzz, and I'm so excited to open the scriptures today with you as we continue our Known By series, where we explore Christ's teaching in John chapter 13 that His disciples should be known by their love for one another. Last week, we looked at the source of that love, which is Christ's redeeming sacrifice on the cross, bridging our brokenness and giving us access to a relationship with God. Here at Three Crosses, we often say that we are all about life transformation through following Christ. The type of love that you really can be known for is one that proceeds from his grace and his goodness in our lives and that's why i loved our first worship song today we look to god to change us to move us to cleanse us and from that process of becoming holy then we can show love to those around us and so this week i'm excited to look at some of the limits of that love that we show for one another now i don't know if you're excited about limits or how that word limits makes you feel Because for some of us, limitations are almost like a a challenge to jump over and move beyond, like parkour style. The limit does not exist, you might say. You know, for others of us, limits are an artificial introduction, almost something like foisted upon us from the outside. Like you'd want to do more, but this external limit caps what you can do. And then some of us, like me, love limits. I love rules. I love policies. They make me feel safe. They make me feel like I know what I'm doing. They make me feel like... I know if I'm doing the right thing, and if I'm being honest, they give us safe ground even to compare ourselves one to another. Now, maybe that's not the greatest reason to love rules, but I'm just explaining how I'm wired. You know, if you're into personality types, I'm a J on the Myers-Briggs, and I have a one-wing on the Enneagram, which basically means I love things concrete, black and white, easy to understand, and simple. I love that rules and policies are sort of an agreed-upon fictive world where we can act with predictability towards one another. Now, if you think that that sounds boring, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm probably pretty boring. I'm also a bit of a nerd because I love to play board games. You know, Along the way, somehow I've tricked my family into also playing with me. You know, My sister will go so far as to not learn a new game that she owns until I can show up to her house and teach her because... She doesn't love rules like I love rules. She wants me to read the rule book and then explain it to her and show her what to do. I don't mind this because getting the rules straight, it puts us on the same page. We can enjoy a game together. We know who wins. We know who loses. But there's two types of people who make these rules kind of hard to enjoy. What I call rules deniers and rules lawyers. And so rules deniers are the kind of players who will try to do a thing in the game and then demand you show them where the rules say, I can't do that. This is the kind of a person who might take $500 out of the bank in Monopoly. Where does it say I can't just reach into the bank? Show me. Or they might just give their cards away in Settlers of Catan just to block you from winning. Where in the rulebook does it say that I can't give my cards away to hand the game to another player? (sighs) These kind of players try to break the rules by testing their limitations, and they frustrate me. Rules lawyers are a little bit different. They want to press the limits of the phrasing on rules to turn them to their advantage in every situation. I remember going to a board game tournament one time, and yes, I went to a board game tournament, and yes, there are judges, and so I called this judge over to resolve a rules dispute. The judge listened to both my opponent and I, and then he ruled in favor of my opponent, which was fine. But then later in the game, we had the exact same rules situation arise, but this time in reverse. Now my opponent wanted to agree with me and my former interpretation of the rules, now that it would favor his outcome. So we had to call the judge back over. And wouldn't you know that the judge had looked up the ruling online and found out I was right in the first place. Now he's ruled in favor of my rules interpretation, but something which benefited my opponent. So he got favored twice. This was like 2012 but I still remember, right? This is rules lawyering. How can we exploit the vagaries of ruling to our advantage in every case? How can we tweak the rules to favor us, no matter what is right? Now, of course, things like board gaming don't really matter in real life, but maybe you can see some of the mindsets that you might have about rules being teased out here. For example, are you the type of person who wants to do what you want to do, no matter the limit or no matter the directive? Or are you a person who loves enforcing the letter of the law on others? (laughs) Or maybe you're a person who loves following laws and rules in your own life, but with an eye on making sure you're not going too far. In Jesus' ministry, he was followed around by all types of people who had all different points of view on rules and on law and on what was right to do and on what was wrong. You know, sometimes we look at these people around Jesus and we think to ourselves, you know, if I had been there in Jesus' day, I would have cut right through that cloud of legalism. I would have just seen right through it, and I would have seen what is right. How could these people in Jesus' day miss the point so spectacularly? But sometimes, if we're honest, we see that these people around Jesus represent viewpoints that we still hold ourselves and as a lover of limits, as a lover of rules, as a lover of policy, I see myself all too clearly in Luke chapter 10. We'd love to start reading in verse 25, and we'll pause at verse 28. It says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. You know, I see myself a lot in this teacher of the law. He asked Jesus, what are the rules? And as it turns out, he already knew the rules. He could answer, loving God and loving neighbor is at the center of everything. Now, this is my reading a little bit into the text a bit, to be fair, but I also bet you that this guy was very good at following those rules and, what's more, giving off some signals to others that were easy to see that he was, in fact, following them. You know, in our day, we have some of these same signals, right, that we give off to prove to others that we really are following the rule that commands we love God. How do we demonstrate that to make sure others know we're doing what's right? You know, well, maybe you'll attend church or maybe you have a Bible on your desk at work or maybe you give an offering each week or maybe in your email signature you have a cross or a bumper sticker with a Christian slogan or maybe even a tattoo that demonstrates that you love God. But we don't want to be too blatant about it. No, of course, proper demonstration of this love for God comes with some aspect of humility as well. So we get very good at playing this game of demonstrating our love for God by following these public rules, but also subtly denying that we're following the rules after all. We're really good gamers at our heart, excellent rules lawyers, because at some point too much rules is, it's just too much, right? Or is it? Why do we want to find that limit? Why do we want to know how much is too much? Do we want to find it so that we can stop at the minimum amount of love? Or do we want to know the limit so that we can extravagantly go beyond it and show the world the love of Jesus? And as I said before, sometimes we just feel that enough is enough, I've gone far enough, I've done my duty, I fulfilled the law. I want to check off this box of showed love and then go on with my day, knowing that I'm keeping that greatest commandment. You know, for each of us, these limits might be a little bit different. For some of us, we might show extravagant, unending love to our friends, but we would have a hard time showing generosity of love to strangers. If I can trust you to be a good recipient of my love, this limit might say, I could show you love, but if not, I'll withhold it. For others, we might demonstrate great generosity and great forgiveness to our family, but if you're on the outside of our family, we'll withhold. Or maybe for you, you'll show love to anyone until they hurt you or until they let you down. This limit might say, I'll believe the best of you, but I'll stop when you prove me wrong. We limit ourselves when the cost is too high or when peer pressure pushes us a different way or when we're simply too tired. We limit ourselves all the time. We play rules lawyer, and we try to show why our limitation is actually good, and it's actually right, and it's actually healthy, and it's actually sustainable. These limits on my love are good, and this situation is just exactly what that teacher of the law in Luke 10 found himself in. Let's look at what he says here in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Do you see what he's doing here? He's trying to find the limits of who he can and should and must show love to. I think if we read this text properly, we can see he's trying to find a limitation in terms of a cap. Or in other words, how little must I show love to still be showing love? That's what seems to be in his mind here. He's not really asking who is my neighbor so that he can be sure that he seeks and finds and loves everyone he is supposed to, going beyond the limit. No, he wants to go as far as required, but no farther. He wants to justify himself, or put another way, he wants to show that he is righteous by asking this question. You know, this is sort of similar to those of us who pull out the old calculator when we tip at dinner. You guys remember going out to dinner? It was amazing. You got to do it. Anyway, the bill comes, and out comes the calculator. And Well, we don't tip on tax, of course, and so let's scrub that out, and okay, our food bill is $35. Okay, carry the one. Let's look at a 15% tip. We got that. Let's get right down to the very penny, right? And those of you who are working in food service are getting your anxieties rising because you know what I'm talking about, I think. These calculator tippers are tipping to the penny generally so that they make sure that they don't give you anything extra rather than ensuring that they don't fall short of giving you what is owed. You know, 15% not on tax? Be more generous than that. But do we want to know this limit so that we can stop at the minimum amount? Or do we want to know the limit so that we can extravagantly go beyond it and demonstrate to the world our love of Jesus. You know, in Luke 10, Jesus saw right through this limitation-seeking question, and he showed us that our neighbor isn't found with the normal limitations, normal qualifications that we so often add to it. You know, here's how he responded, picking up Luke chapter 10 and verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, or two days' wage, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may incur. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Man, Jesus knows our love for rules, doesn't he? For concise and clear and black and white guidelines. But life isn't like that. Life is more complicated than that, isn't it? Or do you think that it might even be more simple than that in some ways? Because you know, here in the parable, we see that people who should have known better, the priest and the Levite, passed by someone in desperate need. Do you think they knew the rules about loving neighbor? Of course they did. Their whole role was to serve in the temple at the place of worship, to follow God, and what's more, to teach others to follow God well. They did know better, but here, they shirked their responsibility because of some limit. Maybe they didn't want to become unclean. Maybe they had a pressing appointment. Maybe they were on their way to a funeral. Maybe they were running late for a work meeting. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they were too busy thinking about something else that they just didn't notice. Or maybe, just maybe they knew what they should do and simply didn't care. Whatever their motivation was, they found a limit. Do we want to know that limit so that we, too, can stop at the minimum amount of love? Or do we want to push past the limit to extravagantly show the love of Christ to our world? You know, Jesus goes one step further here, though, because he wants to show us that the rules that we think we know shouldn't always serve as a maximum ceiling, but rather as a sort of minimum qualifier. In other words, something we want to go beyond. He doesn't want to chastise people for finding a limit. He wants to demonstrate to us that sometimes our limits shouldn't even apply at all. And so to do so, in the case of loving one's neighbor, he's picked somebody who clearly falls afoul of the rules delineating neighborliness. He chooses a Samaritan. And these days, we think about Samaritans almost as a good thing, like a positive reputation. And that image that our culture has of Samaritans is just because of this passage. But in Jesus' day, it was clear to them that being a Samaritan was a bad thing. These people were the wrong ethnicity. They were the wrong nationality. They were the wrong religion. They worshipped at the wrong temple. They were just wrong. They weren't family, they weren't neighbors, they weren't the in-group, and in fact, in many ways, they represented the historical failures of their ancestors to keep God's covenant. They represented the punishment of exile, and they were a constant reminder to the Jewish people that they themselves and their history wasn't perfect. And so if anyone is clearly someone to whom we don't have to show love in Christ's time, Samaritans were it. And yet, what do we see that the Samaritan, who's clearly the wrong person, is clearly the right person because he's the only one who shows love and care, and who doesn't let those rules limit him. But he pushes beyond to demonstrate with actions that he cares for the person in need. And as a result of what he did, not of who he was labeled or where he was born, the Samaritan showed that he truly understood what love of neighbor meant. And when Jesus was talking about loving our neighbor and loving God, this guy demonstrated it. You know, thinking about the Samaritan group in the New Testament period really reminds me a lot of one of our missions partners here at Three Crosses Church. Some of you might know that I've loved Romania since I was nine years old and prayed for that country since then. And in 2012, I was privileged to meet, for the very first time, a great man who has become one of my best friends. And that's Florine Mihali, a Romanian minister. Florine grew up in Romania in the communist era which meant that they had almost nothing materially, literally nothing, at least certainly by our standards. But even back then, there was a group that these communist-ridden Romanians could look down on and say, no matter how bad we have it, at least we're better off than them. And that group is known as the Roma community, or what sometimes in the West we call gypsies. The Roma, despite living in the same country at the same time, didn't have things that we take for granted, like indoor plumbing, electricity, and many of the modern conveniences that we enjoy. You know, the Romans stuck to themselves, and, and this group, with a different ethnicity, a different language, a different culture, a different history, began to be separated from the rest of Europe. I mean, even as far back as the late 1700s when their economy totally crashed. You see, the Roma used to travel through Europe, uh, repairing metal items, handcrafting things like pots and pans, moving from city to city to carry on their business. But once the Industrial Revolution hit Europe and factories could turn out better pots faster and cheaper, the Roma basically became unemployed overnight. They settled down, no longer moving from place to place, and had their own way of living which is different than the European ways of living from those around them. And as often happens, this economic challenge brought even further challenge. And the Roma developed a reputation for drinking and and crime and deserved or not, this caused Roma children to really be overlooked at school and, and held back. You know, not only did they speak a different language at home, which set them behind at school as they started, often teachers would see the reputation of a Roma kid and ensure that they stayed behind. And this meant that they couldn't get into college or they couldn't compete for skilled jobs. And if we fast forward from 1700 to today, that means the Roma communities still live without electricity, with well water, with horse-drawn carts, and in a technological age that we read about in history books. And so if there's anybody that's really not a neighbor, if you're Romanian, it's got to be the Roma people, right? It's got to be. But I'm proud to say that Florine didn't find this limitation. He didn't stop at the limits of his people or his language or his culture or his economic status. No, he saw that the Roma people were in need. And so he stepped in and did something practical and tangible about it. Of course, everybody's primary need is for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. But Florine saw that it was hard for Roma people to listen to outsiders preaching the gospel when they were sitting in leaky homes in the rain who didn't keep out the cold, living with a family of eight huddled in a 100-square-foot shack. Florine wondered, how could the gospel, how could love of neighbor, how could pushing beyond our limits to show extravagant love of Christ, how could it change lives and how could it change a community? Well, Florine became a home builder. He raised money and he partnered with local churches and his ministry team to begin building homes for the Roma people in the nearby village of Mira. He didn't have any construction experience, but he learned there was a need. In 2009, I was privileged to visit Florine and build one of these houses. And let me tell you, it is hard, hard work. Can I tell you a little bit about some of the people who moved into these homes? I might change some of their names for privacy, but I want to tell you about Eliana, Eliana. Eliana was a prostitute, and she had no home, and she had no family, and she was cast out outside of her village, and Florine and his team built Eliana a home. Now she has a husband, she has children, she has a family, and when I was there in 2019, we baptized her children because they have become followers of Jesus Christ as a result of the love that Florine and his team showed, not because Florine and his team are good, but because Christ is good and makes a home for us all. Or there's also Orel. Orel was given to alcohol and he lost his job, and his family left him and said, Until you can provide for us, we won't come back. And so Florine gave Orel a home, and Orel has a job and he's providing for his family, and they have been reunited. I wanna tell you about Sandhu. Sandhu was a guy in the village and in his house, he now hosts a house church, a small group meeting every Wednesday where the people all around Mara can come in and hear about the Bible, hear what Christ has done for them and be changed through the transformative power. The building of the homes, doesn't get anybody into heaven, but it certainly does care for your physical needs. And it's a tangible reminder that if you love me in this extravagant way, because who gives somebody a home for free that is spectacularly generous, then you're primed to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Here in our service, I want to pause and sing a reflective worship song called In the Father's House. And I love this song because it's talking about how we are collected into God's family. Despite shame, despite mistakes, despite reputation, despite whatever, God offers us a home. And I want you to think about as we sing, do you need to be invited fresh into God's house? Do you need to offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness from God for something? Or maybe there's somebody that is in your mind as we've been talking about this parable and the idea of limitations of showing love. Somebody that you have limited yourself from showing love to them for whatever reason. This can be a time where you pray and ask God to transform your heart and transform your love and allow you to reach out and show that tangible love to neighbor without limits, without stopping, without resting. So let's sing together.
2: On this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. my story isn't over. My story's just begun. Fail you won't find me, cause that's what my father does. Yeah, fail you won't find me, cause that's what my father does. Ooh. i hey. want it perfect you just wanted my heart and the story isn't over the story isn't good failure's never final when the father's in the room and failure's never final when the father's in
3: the room
1: You know, as we reflected in that song about the Father's house and His love for us and Him gathering us despite boundaries, I really couldn't help but be reminded about one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which is in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to just summarize it for you. But basically, Philippians 2 says that our attitude should be the same as Jesus had. We should be like-minded. We should be having the same love. We should be one in spirit and purpose. We should be unified, or put another way, we should be known by our love for one another. But Paul goes on to say that since our attitude is the same as that of Christ Jesus, he he teaches us about what Christ gave up for us. In chapter 2, he says that even though Jesus was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or in other words, Jesus didn't sit in heaven enjoying what it was like to be God, ruler over everything, the Almighty, the Creator. But, Paul says, he emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant, a slave, being found in human likeness like us. He humbled himself. He stepped into our world to show us love, love of neighbor, not because we are God's neighbors, but because he made us his neighbors by choosing to die on the cross for us. As we seek to emulate Christ's love all around the world, He's not asking us to do anything He didn't do for us already, and what's more, He empowers us to have that same love. He will help you. Maybe this week we need to pray and ask Jesus to help us show love for one another, that our attitude can be the same as His, that we can love without limit, that we can love without expectation, that we can spectacularly go beyond what is expected to show the love of Christ to our world. You know, I always love talking about Romania and my friends and our mission partners all around the world, but the hard truth of it is that the love of neighbor finds its limitations not primarily in the global world, but even right here in our backyard. You know, I think about those Roma people in need of a home, in need of a family, in need of unification, and I look around the Bay Area, and there are thousands of kids who need a home. And that's why today we're proud to share a video from one of our ministry partners called Foster the Bay, talking about opportunities that they're providing all of us to step in and make a difference and tangibly, practically love our neighbor, maybe in a way that challenges your limits. After the video, we're going to celebrate and reflect in one more worship song, and then I'll come back and share a challenge that we have for you to partner with us as we seek to reach kids in need all around the Bay today. So, Here's Foster the Bay.
4: My name is Philip Pattison, and I'm with the team at Foster the Bay. Foster the Bay is a coalition of churches that are working together to address a crisis right here in the Bay Area. Today there are more children entering into foster care than there are homes that are ready to care for them. That's, that's babies and, and little girls and boys and teenagers who have been neglected or abused or have walked through some other really significant trauma and are entering into foster care. And today there are not enough families ready to receive them and to give them the love and the stability that they deserve in this really difficult season of their life. Well, Foster the Bay is working to change that. It's been one of the greatest joys of my life to watch the way that the Bay Area Church has responded to this crisis. Today, there are more than 100 churches up and down the Bay Area that have linked arms together and saying, we're gonna gonna do something about this. We're gonna make sure that there are more than enough families ready to care for these children. Let me tell you why I think that the church has responded in this way. You know, when you open up the scriptures, it's really clear that God loves every person on this planet, right? I mean, it's clear he loves every man, woman, and child. But it's also clear when you open up the Bible, like from beginning to end, Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis, to Revelation, it's clear that there are some people on this planet that seem to make the top of God's list. There are some people that seem to have a special place in God's heart. And we know who they are, right? It's the orphan, it's the widow, it's the poor, it's the immigrant. So in other words, it's, it's those who are without their family. Those who have experienced deep loss, those who have experienced deep pain, those who are without a home, it's those who are vulnerable. They have a special place in God's heart. Today, there are 6,000 children in foster care right here in the Bay Area and each one of these kids has a name and each of them have a story and every one of their stories matter to God. And because their stories matter to God, their stories matter to us. So I wanna invite you to join the movement of Foster the Bay. I want to invite you into their story. And there are several ways that you can do that. Uh, For one, you could become a foster parent. You could actually learn more about what it would look like for you to open up your home as a foster parent to a child who's walking through perhaps the most difficult season of their life. But that's not the only way you can get involved. Perhaps you're you're watching today and you think, man, I I would love to be involved. I love to care for vulnerable children in my city, but I'm not at the right season of my life to open up my home. Well, perhaps you today could become a support friend. A support friend is somebody that comes alongside a foster family and provides meaningful, practical, spiritual support to them along their journey. So a support friend brings meals, they babysit, they could provide transportation, they could pray on a regular basis for that foster family. There's a thousand different ways you can provide meaningful support to a foster family in their journey. Our our goal is that every church that partners with Foster the Bay raises up at least one new foster family with a team of four support friends. Or maybe today, you take the step to become what we call an advocate. An advocate is a ministry leader in the local church that moves this vision forward in their local congregation. So an advocate is the one that really facilitates those support friends around the foster family. The advocate is the one that really cares for them and encourages them when things get difficult. An advocate is the one that keeps this vision in front of the congregation, not just for a Sunday or for a few weeks, but for the long haul. If you're interested in becoming a foster parent, a support friend, or the advocate in your local congregation, your next step is to attend an interest meeting. You can RSVP today at fosterthebay.org. And if you're willing to take that small step, that small step to just simply learn a little bit more, you're taking a small step towards those who are closest to the heart of God.
1: Church, I'm so thankful that the Father's love for us is so deep and profound that would change us from being a wretch broken by sin, to the treasure of Christ. And I would love for every kid in our community to see and feel that same truth, that they are loved, that they are known, they are seen, and that they are cared for, not only by our Father in heaven, but also by His church here in the earth. And that's why we have this special social media challenge for you to partner with us in as we seek to support Foster the Bay. If you go to our social media pages, Facebook or Instagram, and share this Foster the Bay video, Three Crosses Church will donate $5 on your behalf to Foster the Bay, up to a total of $2,500 of donations. And so what that means is if 500 of us can simply share from our social pages this Foster the Bay video, getting the word out about caring for kids in needs, Three Crosses Church will donate $5 per share, $2,500 total to Foster the Bay. Guys, let's make this happen. Share the need and maybe even go beyond. Attend an interest meeting, sign up to be a support friend, find out what it means to be an advocate. Please feel free to reach out to me directly and I would love to put you in touch with our Foster of the Bay volunteers right here at Three Crosses Church. We also have a couple of other things that I want to invite you to, and that includes our fireplace outdoor services, which we're doing in the summer months up here on our property at Three Crosses. This is a a drive-in service where you can come and hear the word and celebrate in music safely from distance in our cars. We do ask that you reserve a spot by going to threecrosses.org and signing up, and that way we can make sure to have enough space for you. I also want to invite you to come back next week as we continue our Known By series and explore what it might mean to love your enemies. So if the source of our love is God and if God calls us to love our neighbor without limits, what happens when we have to push even further beyond and love our enemies? Pastor Butch and I will be tag-teaming that message and trying to open the Gospels to challenge us to love like Christ did. I am so grateful that while we were His enemies, He died for us. And so, with that in mind, let me pray for us as we seek to show God's love to one another all week. And so, Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to invite us into your family when we didn't deserve it. Father, you love us without limits, without hesitation, always forgiving, always giving, always serving. Father, may we reflect that same sacrificial love to neighbor. And Father, our neighbor is everyone. Will you help us to do it? God, we cannot do it in our own strength. We need you to change us. We need you to work within us. Father, would you do it? We pray in Jesus' name. Father, when you were here on earth, you taught us to pray saying, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I pray that as we seek to practically and tangibly extend your love around our area, Father, would your kingdom come here and would you fully come soon? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. God bless you. We're praying for you. We love you. And we'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for watching. Hopefully you were encouraged by what you saw today. My name is Danny. I'm the pastor at Three Crosses. And just want to encourage you, if you're looking to connect more, you can check out our website, threecrosses.org. We stream our services every Sunday. You can jump in on that. Or if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, come and find us. We'd love to connect with you. Before you go today, hit the subscribe button. Keep up to date with what's going on week after week. We'd love to stay connected. Have a great one.